Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, March 31st, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's a very exciting day. It is National Crayon Day. Ooh. And for the calendar people, it's on the calendar. Excellent. I think so. Yesterday was National Pencil Day, which is celebrated <laughs> in years past, and pencils are grossly underrated tools. I, I wonder, wonder if there's a, a National Knitting Needle Day. I don't know. There's probably Knitting Day. I mostly use pencils to put my hair in a bun. So. I love pencils. How are you? I'm good. Enjoying our semi-spring, or I guess it's spring weather. It's supposed to warm up, I think, at some point soon. The pollen is crazy making for my sinuses. I don't know about yours, but I really love the chartreuse pollen that lines a lot of our city streets. I'm not quite sure Mm -hmm. what that tree is, but I just think it's so beautiful. The aracacias are this gorgeous yellow pollen, killer pollen. And then the chartreuse, it's just, it's awesome. It's springy. (laughs) It's springy. Yeah. I'm waiting for the tree out in front of our house to burst into flower. It does that for Your chair, like a week or two. Cherry yeah. tree, right? Yeah. yeah, it's this so pretty. Almost time. Almost time. Yeah. And I have I have my knitting retreat in next weekend. So very excited about that. Awesome. So I will have lots of good content next time for sure. <laughs> but I have good content this time. We will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And as long as I started talking about knitting, should I just keep going? Yes, please. All right. So I've been knitting. I have been working on my Love Note sweater by Tin Can Knits. This is, I think I mentioned it last time. This is one of the purple sets of yarn that I bought at Stitches West. One of several. Several. Several piles of purple yarn that I bought. So I am using it. I'm very excited. I think I had swatched last time and was getting ready to start the sweater. And so I have actually started it. And when I'm home, that's what I've been working on. It is top-down yoke sweater with lace at the top and then three-quarter length sleeves and a little bit. There's a cropped version and a regular length version. And I am using Apple Fiber Studio Delicious, which is their mohair silk base in shadow, which is this dark, almost black purple. And then their Macintosh base, which is merino, nylon, and alpaca in thistle, which is kind of a lavender and white. And you hold them together. And if I do say so myself, it just looks amazing. And it's exactly how I had hoped it would look. So I have finished the body and started, and I did the collar because... Because I wanted to see how it was fitting, and the, once you add in the collar, it changes how it sits. So before I did the sleeves, I wanted to make sure that it was sitting properly on the body, which it seems to be. Started the first sleeve. I am maybe a third of the way through that. And it goes pretty quickly, because you're knitting it on size 10 needles, which, as someone who generally knits socks, they're huge. They're so, so big, and it goes so quickly delightful even holding the two strands of yarn together at once so I do have to be a little careful because at one point I was actually ran out of the lace weight the mohair silk and I just kept merrily knitting along and realized I was only knitting with one strand of yarn and (laughs) couldn't figure out what happened and like where did my yarn go because I thought maybe I dropped the the (laughs) yarn nope but then I couldn't find the end of it. I had literally just kept knitting and completely run out. So I had to undo about half a row there, which was pretty amusing. And I might need to go back. I did try it on and it fits really well, which is super exciting. I think I'm going to have to unpick it the bottom and knit a little bit more. I had already knit a little bit extra, extra but it's still kind of short. It doesn't look bad. It looks slightly cropped. And if I wear high-waisted jeans, which is what we do nowadays generally, it will look fine, I think, but I might still feel a little uncomfortable. So we'll see. I'll finish the sleeves. I also wanted to make sure I had enough yarn. The yardage count for my size, I had a decent amount left over, but I still 
wanted to make sure. So I'll do the sleeves, try it on, maybe take it out for a spin, see how I feel about the whole thing. And then if I get my act together, I will <laughs> re-knit. So do you feel like you, you would block it before, or, or would you wear it around as a trial and then decide if you're going to undo it or will you block it and then wear it and then do it? I haven't decided. Yeah. Because with it's the silk, that. it's going to, I mean, that is going to be stretchy and the alpaca is going to be stretchy and it's got the merino and the nylon. So that'll help hold it in place. My swatch was decent sized, and when I blocked it, it didn't seem to stretch out very much, so I don't think that that'll have an effect, but it is, you know, a bigger, larger piece of fabric right. that's going to stretch down, so I might not need to extend it. We will see. And blocking might actually, I mean, once it stretches out, I don't know, many things. So we will see. I want to finish it first, but I'm pretty close. That's very cool. Yeah. And half of my household is leaving on Saturday, so it will be basically like a little spring break vacation for me. So there will be knitting happening <laughs> this week. And then I go on my retreat, and there will be more knitting. You're going to have like a Chateaubriand going in the oven, like oh, yeah. all the meat and gluten and knitting. And yes. <laughs> reading. It's going to be amazing. So amazing. But the reason I haven't gotten farther on that is that I have been pretty busy at night going out to the symphony a couple times. My kid had a track meet yesterday, so that has cut down on my at-home knitting. On the plus side, that means I have been getting a lot of work done on my, I don't know, sixth pair of Vanilla is the New Black Socks by Anna Fletcher. So I had just started these as well. Um, these are in Knitpicks Felici Fingering in the Solstice colorway, which is self-striping, like two pinks, two blues, a gray, and a yellow very bright and cheerful. First of all, I learned my lesson because I had the track meet. It was almost done. <laughs> and I remembered A, to bring scissors and uh, embroidery needle so I could close off the socks when I finished. And I made sure I had my second skein with me so that I could cast on as needed. So that was good because I did finish the first sock. And then I knit almost the whole leg at the symphony last night. It was very exciting. Um, excellent performance. We saw Lang Lang. It was great. That's so great. I'm glad people are getting out in the world. Yeah, it was packed. He is. Wow. I did not realize how much of a piano rock star he was, but my husband informed me, so it was exciting. But yeah, and I got I got a lot of my second sock done, so I'm almost, I have to compare it to the first sock. It was sort of weird. Usually the stickanes, I think, match up color-wise. These are a couple stripes off, which I don't care. But I do need to, I can't just say, okay, when I get to the second pink stripe, I need to rejigger everything. So we will have that. And then um, I've gotten a little bit of work done on my Helix cowl. I kind of picked that up in between other knitting when I'm kind of not sure what I want to do. And that is by Andrea Rangel using Knit Circus yarn, uh, black, and a multicolor speckly gradient. And it's a colorwork cowl, and it's going to be an infinity cowl, and it's really long. And I think I'm going to make it even longer so I can use all of the beautiful colors in the multicolor skein. That one is definitely a work in progress and will continue to be a work in progress for some, some time, but it is always fun to sit down and make a little progress on that. But I think that's all my knitting. How about you? Well, I'm knitting my shawlography, the Stephen West pattern. And I'm, I think I'm halfway. I thought I was halfway last time, but then when I was, I've scooched a little bit further along. I have survived the welts and I've survived the baubles. I don't know why I thought they were going to be tricky. They were not. I think the hardest thing for me has been keeping my tension um, right for the yarn overs. And so like when there's a little bit of, you can't call it fair isle, but when you're carrying the yarn behind, you know, just making sure that everything is just relaxed, like yoga tension, you know, <laughs> but this is me sort of relearning how to, how I knit and what my knit tension is like and learning some new stitches. I got to a point last, a couple days ago, where I felt like totally overwhelmed that it was way too colorful. 
but I'm past that now and I have decided that I just need to have another I need to have another project. This is how knit aholics happen is that you have one project going and then you think I'm tired of this. I need a different one and yeah, I can see well, how you this... need multiple projects for multiple moments. Yes. And when you get sick of one and need a break from yeah. hot pink magenta baubles. So it's going well. I'm like nearly at the halfway point. I do have some uh, two color brioche staring me down and I am ready. Like I'm just ready to make that happen. And, and Monica just talked me. She, well, she didn't really have to say very much. She just talked me into a sweater, I think. <laughs> this beautiful sweater that she sh- shared a pattern and kit with. And I might just join her on that bandwagon because it is so beautiful. It is really beautiful. So it's in the latest Pompon magazine. Oh, what is it called? Lenora? The Lenora? Lenora. It's kind of a patchwork intarsia with mohair and bits of scrap yarn and it looks like something straight out of an anthropology catalog with beading and or buttony type things embellishments and I have learned in my very short time working on half of the shawlography the real joy in this for me comes from changing colors and changing stitches like I Mm -hmm. sort of need that excitement I guess or whatever you whatever you want to call it So, yeah, so I see another project on my horizon. And the Neighborhood Fiber Company has come out with, well, their yarn was used in the original sweater, and so they have come up with a couple of kits. So you can get the original pink peachy color, or I got a gray kit, and they also have a turquoise, which is Courtney's signature color. So (laughs) she saw that and was like, mmm, yep. That's, it's so great. So we may be having a Lenore party. Yeah. Along. Yeah. yeah, we shall see. I have a couple other things I want to get to, but the yarn arrived and totally messed up my numbers for the month. But I mean, more so than the stitches yarn did. We won't talk about that. It's a different hobby. I don't have yarn any collecting. extra yarn, so it's not a big deal to me. Yeah, it's it's a different hobby for me. Yeah, on easel. The easel. The easel. I have been working on a set of animal postcards. I felt like it was time to do another round of those to all of I have a bunch of nephews and one niece. I haven't seen any of them because it's still COVID times and we're still kind of being careful. And I thought they'd like to receive some mail. But I like to do these because I love to paint animals. I love to hear what the kids are all interested in and looking at and curious about. It's just it's a joyful project. And so I have about 15. It'll be like a set of 15. I'm sharing them in my Instagram stories, like as they come together, but I'll probably do a full flip through before I put them in the mail. And I'll probably scan them this time. I didn't scan them last time because they come out so good. I don't know. It's just this little finite project and I, it gives me a lot of joy I also love real mail, so I think that... Real mail is the best. Yeah, and a couple of the, when I was talking with their parents, asking which animals or insects or birds that the kids were interested in, a couple of the parents were like, and I like owls, (laughs) or what have you. So there might be a, a postcard or two extra in the group. And then I'm also working, today is March 31st, which means tomorrow we turn the calendar page. And so I have a calendar story that accompanies my 2022 animals and things calendar. And I will release that story tomorrow. And you can, if you hadn't seen the other ones, you can look back through my Instagram feed and see the stories from previous months. And I release those on the first of the month. And it just tells the story behind the illustration, kind of like what, why I got there, why I put a platypus in a soup tureen. Then also a little bit about the, there's usually a bird or two on the calendar grid. And I, that's where I do the bird identification and any other like interesting calendar grid nuggets. And so that's what's on the easel. Nice. On the table. 
So the other part of being out and about and busy, which is wonderful. I'm very excited that we are doing things in the world again, but it means that I don't have so much time to cook. If I've got to pick up the kid from practice and then we've got to go somewhere or whatever, it's just, I don't want to think of too much about a new recipe and what I'm making for dinner. So I've been doing a lot of what vegetables do I have left? I've got a new box of vegetables. Let's just throw a bunch of vegetables on the table and some cheese and maybe some meatballs and call it good, which has actually been working really well. And I'm pleased with how well it has been working. Although I also have not quite figured out amounts. So I often end up with possibly more than I needed to make. And then I don't have something for the next night, but you know, it is a work in progress and it is getting there. But I did make something, well, it's, it's it's been a lot of old favorites. So things that, some of them I know we've talked about before. The first one, I don't know if I have, but it is, I know I've made it, made them before, although not in a while. Soka, which is, oh, Southern French, I think, chickpea flour pancakes. Kind of like crepes, possibly Italian. That sounds more Italian, but I guess Provençal could be. Anyway, I saw them mentioned again somewhere. And I was like, oh, those are good. I should make them. Super easy. Equal parts, the chickpea flour and water, little salt. The recipe I came across used club soda to give it a little bit of fizz, which I did not have. So I threw a little bit of baking powder, baking soda in there. She called for one of them. She said that would work. The first two that I made were complete disasters, which is what happens with crepes. So I was kind of For expecting sure. it, but it was really bad. <laughs> the first two, I was kind of annoyed. First one, okay, fine. First two. So I made a double batch. And once I got everything going, they were pretty delicious. They do take a while because you're doing like one pancake at a time, which is kind of annoying. Then they were great. And they were part of a vegetable spread. And I think I had cheese and I, you know, did some various sauces and condiments and they were really good. And then we had them leftover. I had them for breakfast the next morning with some blackberry jam, which was, you know, kind of that sweet, savory thing, which I know not everybody likes, but I'm very fond of. So that was good. I was glad to to have that back on the rotation. And then I made a French onion soup frittata. I'm pretty sure I've talked about this, but it's been a while. And it was so delicious. (laughs) I'm going to talk about it again. Caramelized onions are amazing. So I sliced up two whole onions and just caramelized the heck out of them. Which, you know, this was one of the nights when I was actually home. It took a while. But I was just home, so I'd stir them, go do something, stir them for a little bit, come back. And then... I made a giant frittata. I used a full dozen eggs, which usually the past couple of times I've done it, I've, I don't know, used eight and it's just never quite enough. So I was like, fine. I had a whole bunch of extra eggs. I just went for it. Ton of Gruyere in there. And I sprinkled some gluten-free panko breadcrumbs on the top to give it that sort of French onion soup crustiness. Mm Mm-hmm. It didn't quite work as I envisioned. I think I maybe either needed more or I needed to put them on after it had cooked some more. So that was something that I tried. Wasn't quite perfect, but I think it has some good ideas. And served it with a salad. And I think I had some baby broccoli for my produce box. So that worked out well. And the husband was very pleased. He had many compliments for it. So that was very nice. And this originally started as an omelet which I think is a better option overall because you get a stronger hit of the cheese and the onions because they're a big pile of them in the middle of the the omelet. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit around and make omelets for four people on a weeknight. So maybe once the kids move out, it's just the two of us. We'll have, we'll go back to the omelets, but the frittata is a good option. And then an old, old favorite, probably from our first year. Mm Mm-hmm. Courtney can see my notes. The turkey chimichanga, which is something Courtney introduced me to. Crowd pleaser. It's amazing. And I had not made it in a while because, well, my husband can't eat it because, or doesn't eat it because of the meat, can't eat it because of the flour tortillas. And then boy one wasn't eating gluten. So it was just, it was all too much. And I don't think you could use corn tortillas with this because they would just bend. I could find a gluten-free wrap, but we still have the turkey issue. However, he was not home for dinner. 
boy had track practice. I was going somewhere. Other kid was maybe going to be home, maybe not. There was lots of moving parts. So I needed something that I could make ahead and wouldn't be too stressful for the kid when he got home. Bringing back the turkey chimichanga. It was so good. I had like half a head of cabbage left in the fridge. So I think that was what inspired the whole thing. So you chop up roast turkey, shred the cabbage, mix it with cheese and salsa and black beans. I feel like there's more stuff, but that was what made it into my bowl. (laughs) Right. We do black olives and cilantro and extra tomatoes if you want. Like really anything. The olives would be good. I need to remember that for next time. And then you wrap them in the tortilla, bake it for, I did 350 for half an hour. It seemed to work. I underbake them a little bit because it, it's always a two-night meal for mm-hmm. us, yeah. and that way they're not overbaked for the second time around. Or I'll just blanket them with tin foil partway through. Yeah. But yeah, it's that has been a favorite in our house for fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, so it's been good. You know, it's it's good to bring back the old favorites, I think, as well, and and be reminded why you like them in the first place. Um, but then, as I said, I'm gonna have half my household gone, so I feel like. We'll see some exciting recipes. Or not. It's okay to not cook when... (laughs) Yeah, but like, I won't have to go anywhere. I won't have to drive anybody anywhere. This kid, you know, actually both kids have their license, so, but this one is, we'll have two cars, so it's not... Super easy week. Yeah. So I can take some time and and rediscover my love of cooking. Excellent. How about you? I'm not rediscovering my love of cooking. It's still there. It's just a little dormant. Same same upheaval at my house, which is, we're getting there, but it's so dusty. So the little things that I wanted to share kitchen related this week were that I have some salt cured eggs curing. Wow. Um, This is from, I think two or three episodes ago, two episodes ago from when we were up in Sacramento And Monica and I went to the kitchen and they had this really intriguing addition to a dish where they grated some salt cured egg yolk over pasta. Yeah, that was on the the sheep sheep pasta. And it had this really wonderful, not like Parmesan, different than Parmesan, but... Yeah, similar. Similar umami flavor. You take... 50-50 salt and sugar, and you run it through the food processor so it's the same size granule. And then you carefully separate your egg yolk out, and you make a divot and put the egg yolk in and gently cover it like a a turtle egg. (laughs) Like a turtle laying an egg. That's what it made me think of. I did a few of them, and then you put them in the fridge for a week. I think you can just store them in the fridge like that. They're fine if it goes more than a week because we'll be away for a little bit. So I'm excited to report back on the salt cured eggs. The other condiment weird side thing that I made was this avocado and pickled jalapeno sauce. Yeah, the jalapenos were pickled just from a jar and you add them to some avocados and lime juice and salt and pepper. I thought it would just be this extra side for some tacos that we were having, but what... I appreciate about it was the texture was really wonderful because I did it in the food processor. And then we're rich in avocados right now. We have so many. So this part wasn't as critical, but I think the pickling juice of the jalapeno helped preserve the avocado. And so it was great the next day. Like it didn't brown or anything. And so there's a secret trick I didn't know about. And then, I guess that's why you add like the lime juice, kind of that. Sort yeah, of that helps, helps so but it usually acid. still browns. Yeah, true. But maybe because I put so much of the pickled jalapeno in there, so that was a fun side recipe. And then my husband traveled to Utah, uh, Salt Lake City, and he was looking at the best kind of specialty. You know, when you travel to a city, like what's good here. <laughs> And somebody sent him to get a Navajo taco, which Mm. is Navajo fry bread is the recipe that I saw. So it's kind of like a tortilla that's pan fried. And then you build your taco on top of it, like mostly 
There's a lot of bean options, but I imagine this could be done with gluten-free flour. So really interesting take on a taco. And he said by the time he got back, it had been shuffled around in the box a little bit and was a hot mess, but awesome. <laughs> so I'm really interested in looking for some recipes for that for this weekend. And then another friend of mine, Kelly, back home, is looking to throw a party for the first time in wow. forever. And so we were tossing ideas back and forth about party food. And this goes back to a pre-COVID problem that I had for party foods. You know, like hors d'oeuvre cookbooks, like all of those. I really need one of those in my life. I have oh, you that. Don't have any? I don't have an hors d'oeuvre one. I have a boards one, like a themed mm, board. Yeah. And so I pointed her towards that. I know Martha Stewart does a great hors d'oeuvre cookbook. And the Williams Sonoma website has lots of ideas. And then, of course, Pinterest. But I feel like you have to cast a wide net. Do you have a good I have a couple. I have some, and I have some general party planning Uh, books. Okay. You should come up and look them. I used to have the Martha Stewart one, but I think like a lot of them are, you know, individual, like cherry tomatoes, but I'm I'm not going to do that. Like at this point in my life, I, no. I think none of us want to be fiddly. I think we want to, what's easy to make ahead, what's easy to keep warm, what can people eat one-handed maybe without a big plate and a fork. And so let us know if you have ideas. Yeah. If you have ideas, it might not be in time for this particular event, but I have definitely come up against this in the past and we have a graduation coming up. So I would, I'm, it's on my radar and I'm all ears and, and that's it. That's all that's on my table. (laughs) I know we, we appreciate you bearing with us. You have news about Cascatelli, though. Oh, yes. The gluten-free version is at Whole Foods. It was at my Whole Foods. You can search on, I think, the Whole Foods website. It's done with, it's Banna, right? Yes. It's the chickpea-based. There were two boxes. I took them both. So I have not made them yet. I am waiting for my regular Cascatelli order to come in so that we can have a side-by-side comparison Pasta extravaganza. So I'm very excited about that. And so check your whole thing. Yeah, we're, I'm still like totally committed to this pasta. In fact, I bought some other pasta from that same company or just no, pasta in general? Just pasta in general. And I was like, oh, it's not Cascatelli. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a sauce preference yet? I have only really been making it with either a marinara or a bolognese. I really want to do it with a heavy-hitting pesto because it's pesto season. I would love to do, like, with pesto and peas and maybe, like, asparagus bits. I was going to say, yeah. That would just... That would be delicious. Yeah, or, like, the green pasta Recipes oh, that yeah. we were doing a lot of last year, I think yeah. that would be stellar. With Simply Julia or Weekday Vegetarian both have good ones. Right. Yeah. This pasta totally grabs the sauce well, and it is also just delicious. I don't know. It's I've I'm a pasta snob now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's yeah. good stuff. All right. On the nightstand, I am bookending. Ha. Huh my books this week with two family dramas. So the first one is The Family Chow by Lan Samantha Chang. The Chow family lives in a small town in Wisconsin, and they run a Chinese restaurant. The parents are from China. The three boys were raised here. The, or Wisconsin, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not in Wisconsin. I'm in California, Uh, raised in the U.S., Uh, The youngest son is a freshman in college, pre-med. The middle son is a financial guy in New York City, has kind of cut himself off from the family a bit. The oldest son wanted to be a musician, was in New York for a while trying to make that work, but came home when his mom got sick to help with the restaurant. And his dad promised that he would... Um, if he stayed, would give him half the business. 
His dad has since reneged on that, so his brother has called, the older brother has called the youngest brother's home to have kind of family discussion and figure out, you know, see whose side everybody is on and see if they can all make this work. So family drama, and then things start to happen, and it goes on from there. It was a really, really good book, kind of a mystery and family drama. The characters were really interesting, definitely not one-dimensional. You get a Chinese-American family in the Midwest, and there's a Chinese community in their town, but there's a lot of tensions. The book takes place now-ish, so the kids were growing up, the kids, um, like the late night, you know, in the 90s. Um, so there was still a lot of tension and people not understanding the community and all the kinds of things you might expect from a book like that. But also just family drama, mystery, secrets being revealed and and family dynamics, you know, how grown up kids relate to their parents and vice versa. So I really like that one. That sounds right up my alley. I love it. Yeah, it was good. The Family Chow by Lynn, Samantha Chang, plus lots of food talk. Oh my gosh, they give this Christmas party every year and the brother is an amazing cook and just goes all out and there's the descriptions are fantastic and hooray made me want to go out and eat right then then i read the road by cormac mccarthy oh my gosh why (laughs) it was a reread for book club so but it was interesting because there were maybe eight of us there and no one else had read it before seriously yeah they didn't know it was a movie they had never heard that they hadn't heard of it so I thought I would mention it because I have a very strong reaction to this book. Yes. Well, Unapolo- unapologetically. <laughs> Did you finish it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I read it like when it first came out or when it came out in paperback, it is a dark, dark post-apocalyptic. There is no light in this book. And this was actually one of the things we talked about. So it's a father and a son. They're on the road. There's been some sort of great disaster. It's cold. They're trying to get to the coast because they think it'll be warmer. Maybe they'll find people. It's just dangerous. Bad things happen. But their relationship is really beautiful. That is the only good thing about that book. Yeah, but it's a really hard book and probably not something to be reading during a pandemic. Or if you have children. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of reasons not to. And I don't know. So, but I reread it because it's been so long and I needed to be able to have a discussion about it. But it was actually a really good discussion. There's a lot of things to talk about. And one of the things that occurred to me is that most, I feel like most apocalypse books, they come in at the point of rebuilding society. So not necessarily good things, it's usually hard, but people are finding their way to community, rebuilding things. It's usually more in the post. And this is still kind of in the depths. Yeah. There's nothing... No no goodness, no light in this book. So that, I think, makes it a little bit harder. But I won the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, it's well-written. It is incredibly well-written. And if it, if I can say anything about it, it is that, I don't know how many pages it is, but I read it maybe 13 or 14 years ago, like when it first won the Pulitzer. Yeah, in 2007, I think. And it is seared into too. my... Yeah. Like, I remember this book really well. It's seared into my brain. And maybe I didn't want to have it seared into my brain, but the writing is exceptional and and it is profound. Yeah. All true. And rereading it, I kind of knew when the bad things were going to happen and how it was going to turn out. So that made it a little bit easier, but I also knew how profoundly dark this book was. So yeah. I was little, but it is pretty short. It is a quick read. There's no chapters. It's all just one, maybe 200 pages. So you can get through it pretty quickly. Um, a couple people did the audio and we didn't really get to talk about how that worked for them, but they seemed okay with it. And Vigo Mortensen's in the movie. So I can't, I can't, even I, for Vigo, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. Mm. Yeah. My next book was a little bit lighter. A little bit. It was a little bit weird. Random Stuff, Flying Through the Air by Jackson Ford. This is the second book in the series. I think I read the first one last time. Our girl Tegan is back. She can move things with her mind. She works for a secret government organization that, you know, saves the world on a weekly basis. So they are all still recovering from the events of the last book. 
and she is working up the nerve to tell her boss that what she really wants to do is go to cooking school. She does not want to save the world anymore. Even though it's a very honorable profession, she wants to be a chef with her own restaurant. Unfortunately, two big earthquakes hit LA and destroy the town. And it turns out that a four-year-old boy is responsible for it. So they have to figure out how to find him, that how to tracks, stop him. If my memory of four-year-olds <laughs> is correct. Yes. There are many problems. Um, so it's the same kind of book, adventures, good team bonding, you know, people trying to work together and they have, but they have, they have a really interesting relationship. They don't all necessarily get along, but they respect each other. And the earthquake part was a little hard because it was an 8.2 or something. I mean, it is a LA leveling earthquake, which as someone who lives in San Francisco is a little hard to read about and makes me think I need to update all of my safety procedures. <laughs> so that's, which is not a bad thing. Um, so that was a good one. I haven't put the third one on my list yet, but I plan to. It's it's a pretty fun series. I like Tegan. I want to see where things are going, and he definitely has plans for more. There's some, a few little backstory things that are that are percolating through both of these books, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes next. And then another s- series book, The Good Turn by Dervla McTiernan. This is third in the Cormac Riley series. He is the police detective in Galway in Ireland, although this one focuses more on his second-in-command, Peter Fisher. So at the beginning, a young girl is kidnapped, and that all turns out okay. That happens pretty early. I just wanted to say (laughs) nothing goes bad with her, but the investigation overall goes sideways really badly. Cormac is taken off the case, Peter is suspended and sent out to the boonies to his hometown to work underneath his father, who he does not have a good relationship with. Um, This was a real slow burn of a book. You're not quite sure where the mystery is, and there's, you can tell she's weaving a bunch of threads together. There's a lot of personal stuff going on with Cormac and his girlfriend. Peter's doing a lot of soul searching, you know, what should I have done differently? And then he's got his relationship with his father and his grandmother in this small town. And so there's all these things going on and you can't quite tell where it's going, but you know, it's going somewhere. Uh, So I really, I liked it. This was the third one that I've read in pretty quick succession. This one just came out recently. So I'm going to have to wait for the next one to come out for a while, I assume. This one I actually had to read in a book book. The others I had listened to on audio, but the audio is not available yet. So um, so that was kind of an interesting switch, but worked out well. And then Driftwood by Marie Brennan. I have read, gosh, like two of her other series. And this is, I don't know if it's a new series or, or what, but it was really interesting. So the Driftwood is a land where worlds go after they've had an apocalypse and they finish, <laughs> which sounds really depressing, finish, they go to finish dying basically. So there's all these different worlds and realities pushing up against each other. Some people survive and try and stay in their world and other people end up mixing with the other cultures and people and become what they call drifters. And there's one man who has been working as a guide. So he'll take you to the through to the different lands if you need something. But he's apparently been alive for longer than anybody should be. Um, And now he is missing. And so people gather to kind of have a memorial, although they're not sure that he's actually gone. So it's, it's ends up being little stories about him and you learn about the world. And is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? It was a really interesting, it was a really interesting set of stories, basically. And we still don't quite know what happened to him. So I am, I don't know if there's going to be more series, more books in this series, or if this is a one-off and we're just into this world and now we're done with it, but it was a really good fantasy book and I enjoyed it very much. And then my final family drama was Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, which I finished two minutes before Courtney arrived because <laughs> I wanted to finish it. It was really good. So this is her first book. She was a journalist and has written short stories, but this is her first novel. And Black Cake is a Caribbean kind of fruitcake that I guess people make for weddings and Christmas, big holiday events, kind of a, a traditional thing. In the 
story, Benny and Byron are siblings, and their mom has just died, so they have come back for her funeral. Their dad passed away about five years ago. Benny has not been home for eight years. She's kind of cut ties with the family. But she has now come back. Their mom has left them a recording that they are supposed to listen to while they are together, and a black cake in the freezer that they are supposed to eat together when the time is right. So they sit down to listen to the recording. They start to hear a story of a young woman in Jamaica in the 60s, and it goes on from there. So we've got family secrets, the Caribbean, London, all over the world, their family relationship, so much going on in this book. And I really, really <laughs> enjoyed it a lot. I, it felt a little bit like a first book at times. The writing is good, but sometimes kind of scattered. And again, there's a lot going on in this book. But the characters are really interesting. There's a lot of repeated threads of events that happen to people, family traumas, and again, how you relate to your parents and your kids and vice versa, and what people hide and when they turn to people for help, what people save from their history and their culture. The Caribbean British part was really interesting because, again, it's something I don't know very much about. So yeah, this one, I would recommend this one as well. I'm hearing such good things about this book. I, yeah. I think three or four people oh, in the past yeah. week have recommended it. So Yeah, it just came out recently, and I did see it in a bunch of places, but it was thumbs up for me. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, I have four for you this week. The first one is called A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. And this was just really interesting. It takes place in... I think about the 1980s in remote Northern California in a community called Pastoral. You aren't sure if you're supposed to be creeped out by this community or inspired or you just, I just couldn't get a read on it until things had sort of progressed. And I think that without spoiling anything, because I think it's a real gem of a, of a novel that the big takeaway for me was the importance of memory and, and how powerful memory or loss of memory can be. And I, I think this is a really interesting read. It's not like anything I've read recently. And I think people will enjoy it if you are into kind of like a, a mystery and maybe a little bit psychological. Mm. Is it kind of gothic? No, it's yeah. it's okay. just more like a missing person mystery with wow. this community thing wrapped into it. And then I had this book called For the Wolf by Hannah Witten. And I think this is book one of a series. These are a little outside of my normal genre, so I'm not as fluent in speaking about world building like Monica. Monica reads a lot of this genre. It's harder for me to suspend my disbelief and sort of move into like sink into these. Although this one was more accessible for me because I feel like it's built off of the Little Red Riding Hood. It's like a PG-13 Little Red Riding Hood. It's not like fully weird. You know, it's <laughs> kind of believable. I think the the main story is very similar to Little Red Riding Hood, where our main character, Red, is the second daughter. She must go off and surrender herself to Wilderwood. And there is apparently a wolf in there, and nobody knows what happens to the second daughters because they never come back. And so she's known most of her life that she's the second daughter and her sister will, who's the eldest, will take, you know, take power and she'll go off into the woods on her 19th birthday and that'll be that. And she's kind of a rebel anyway. She's a very cool character and she goes in there and then we, that we are all sorts of surprises and good in a good way. It's not completely cliche if that can be said. And I think where I had a hard time was I, I just didn't understand what her, she has powers and I couldn't really understand what her powers were. That it's something to do with the trees 
And I, to be honest, didn't, the power side of it wasn't as interesting to me as the relationships that she was building with this community in the woods. There's a book too, which I think I need to read in order to, like, I just feel a little cloudy about the whole thing. So I'm going to give the second book a chance and see if that helps. Because you have sometimes mentioned, like, that the first book is a foundational for the for the series in right. a way. And I feel like that could be the culprit here. Yeah. So I feel like I've heard of that one, but I, I have not I li- I'm not read it yet. I liked it. I loved the main oh, character. Okay. So that's I think that's why I wanna and I liked the I'm doing air quotes the wolf character too. Yeah. And that surprised me in a good way. It is frustrating though if you're reading a book and it feels like the first one of the series. Like, you want it to stand on its own as well. Yeah. But I might give the second book a shot, depending on my cue. Then I read Perfect Little World by Kevin Wilson, which is a few years old. He also wrote, I never remember the name of this book. The Exploding Children? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Nothing to see here? Nothing to see here. Which was delightful that was great I didn't so great other stuff cool oh he has a few oh great well per- i don't know is it great it is oh, it okay, is cool. so good perfect little world is uh, okay to follow on with my like is it a cult is it a is it an idyllic community so in this book there is this premier child psychologist dr grind and he has lost his family and he's really young and he has this theory that he can build an infinite family project where the, where they take these 10 children and their families and communally raise them in this perfect utopian place in the middle of nowhere of Tennessee. It's a 10-year experiment. All these families buy in and the main the main narrator in this book is Izzy, who's a single mother and she's the only one who's a single parent. And her child, Cal, they go into this like two days after having given birth. And so it's appealing to her because she's going to be a single mother. She has no support system. It's like the only way that she can give her child the type of life she believes he deserves. Everybody there has their own reason for being there, but Izzy's makes the most sense to me as as a reader. So as... Each section unfolds as like a year in the community, and it's this billion-dollar project funded by this very wealthy, it sounds like the matriarch of the Walton family, you know, has funded this crazy idea because she feels like even though her kids had everything, they're still a terrible family. You know, so really it's... It's meant to be focused on this utopian bubble to raise your kids in, but it's also an incredible commentary on families and relationships and how even in perfect situations, things break down. And it was fascinating. And I really didn't think that I was gonna, there were a, a, there was a point in the beginning where I felt like, is this a cult? Like, I don't want to read about a cult. But the people are so genuine, and it's, it is a fascinating book. His books are so weird and wonderful, and I think oh. that it just delights me. Less delightful, but equally excellent book, When the Stars Go Dark by Paula McLean. She wrote The Paris Wife, and this is her latest, like hot off the press. This novel is a mystery. It takes place in 1992, Northern California, Mendocino area, where Anna Hart is a detective in San Francisco, but she has a family trauma. And so she goes back to Mendocino for a break and she gets roped into helping find this missing girl or helping join the case for a missing girl. Around that time in real life, and I didn't grow up here, so it's not in my countenance, but there was a, a huge missing girl case in Petaluma where Winona Ryder like came up and like helped and She's that's, from there, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's all part of this. Um. And so 
after I had read the book to find out, is this based in truth? Because there was a huge section at the, in the mm. acknowledgments about it. And I saw reviews, like people saying, oh, this is terrible. I didn't want to relive that missing persons case for people who were Bay Area based. Yeah. But for me, because I didn't grow up with that story and didn't know about it, I couldn't tell if it was fact or fiction. You know, I just thought it was a random Winona Ryder <laughs> mention in this book. So she's taken these true cases and folded it into mm. a, a fictional story that's closer to Ripped the... Ripped from the headlines. Yeah, exactly. And her personal history, she, Paula McLean grew up in foster care and has... Mm. I mean, this is not for anybody who has problems reading about, like, child abduction, sexual assault, missing people. <laughs> you know, it's not delightful. However, if you love a good mystery, this one is really, really well done and thoughtful. And uh, the, that main character is really re not relatable to me but she's very human i guess and i really i appreciated that so that's when the stars go dark by paula mclean oh there's also this awesome crazy character in there that i totally have a mental picture of mm -hmm. and i want them to make a movie out of this just so i can see that totally tertiary character come <laughs> to life anyway that's my, those are my books for this week. Cool. Good stuff. I'm very excited about the Kevin Wilson. I need to, oh. Yeah. Backlog. Yeah. My yarn and my books. There's just not enough time, but I will make great progress this week and then we will be back. Yeah. We are never bored. Nope. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.